Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams, starting with his debut in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. This episode features the music from Born on the Fourth of July, made in 1989. Now here's your host, Jeff Cummings. If you listened to the first episode of The Baton, you are very aware of John Williams' brief stint in the U.S. Army. Even though his time as an officer was spent playing in the Army Band in Nova Scotia instead of fighting in the Korean War in the 1950s. Even though he never saw a minute of battle, Williams has always held a lot of reverence for those who served and has welcomed the invitation to work on war films in his career. When he sat down to watch an early cut of Oliver Stone's Born on the Fourth of July, he was settling in for his fifth war movie, but the first to deal with the Vietnam War. If the movie had been made when it was supposed to be made in the late 1970s with Al Pacino starring, Oliver Stone as screenwriter, and Marty Bregman as director, John Williams might not have been involved. So it was our good fortune that Pacino and Bregman backed out of the film, and no studio wanted to touch this story at the time, even though The Deer Hunter and Coming Home were doing so well in 1978. But then, Oliver Stone made Platoon in 1986, his first film about Vietnam, winning the directing Oscar while the film received the Best Picture Oscar. Suddenly, Stone was the new director of the real-life story of Ron Kovic, who was paralyzed in a battle in Vietnam and became one of the biggest anti-war voices in the 1970s. While it was a no-brainer to put Oliver Stone in charge of this film, Everyone worried about casting Tom Cruise in a very dramatic role that required him to break out of his movie star mold. While Stone was casting this movie, Rain Man had not been released yet, so the closest thing that could prove Cruise was a good dramatic actor was acting opposite Paul Newman in The Color of Money in 1986. Stone had to convince Universal Studios that Cruise was right for the part, and everyone backed off after viewing the first scenes with Cruise. This movie is incredible. It is tough to watch at times, and all the praise goes to Oliver Stone for giving us an unflinching look at life after a soldier returned home from the Vietnam War, especially those who were injured and wounded. Oliver Stone himself had fought in the Vietnam War, and he had a lot to say about the men who fought over there with Platoon. But he had a lot more to say about Vietnam, and he found the right messenger in Ron Kovic and his autobiography that was published in 1976. What's amazing is you don't feel Oliver Stone in the film. You don't feel him being preachy about the war or trying to live through the main character, which would be an issue with the film GFK about two years later. If you feel Oliver Stone's work in the film, it's trying to make the scenes in Vietnam feel real, and pushing Tom Cruise into what I believe is the best performance of his career. For such a large film, and by large I mean large in scope and size since it runs 2 hours and 25 minutes and covers about 20 years, Stone was very efficient with it. The film was shot in just 65 days and though it went over budget thanks to a reshoot of the finale, it doesn't look rushed. I don't know what led Oliver Stone to reach out to John Williams for this film. I do wonder if the man who wrote a score to Platoon, George Delarue, 
was ever considered for it. Perhaps because this film is inherently American, Stone felt the Frenchman Delarue might not be able to tap into the American sentiment that the music would need. Plus, Delarue didn't really offer much an original score for the platoon. Any memories of an underscore in that film would inevitably lead to Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings, which was written in 1936. When Williams sat down to watch an early cut of Born on the Fourth of July, it was February 1989. He was in the middle of recording the score for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and found this new project fascinating. It is an important, painful, serious, and vivid film, Williams told Richard Dyer in an article in the Boston Globe in 1989. He goes on to say, quote, I think some sequences in the film are as good as anything I have ever seen, end quote. Though Williams was anxious to start working on writing music for Born on the Fourth of July after watching the film in February, he wouldn't get around to it right away. Instead of working on Born on the Fourth of July after finishing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, he cranked out about 30 minutes of music in March and April 1989 for a movie that wouldn't come out until next February called Stanley and Iris. And once that was done, he was ready to return to those vivid images Oliver Stone presented to him. Instead of going for the obvious and writing music to match the horrors of what transpires physically and emotionally in the film, Williams said that he, quote, knew immediately I would want a string orchestra to sing in opposition to all the realism on the screen, and then the idea came to have a solo trumpet, not a military trumpet, but an American trumpet to recall the happy youth of this boy. John Williams had done some amazing work with soloists in his scores, most recently with Tommy Tedesco and his guitar in the river. With Born on the Fourth of July, he would bring in a longtime collaborator who would be making his film debut. Tim Morrison started playing trumpet with the Boston Pops in 1980, the same year that John Williams began his tenure there. It would take Williams nine years to find a vehicle for Tim's gifts, and that was Born on the Fourth of July. And it didn't hurt that Williams was writing this score at the same time he was preparing for his 10th season with the Boston Pops. Williams could have used the principal trumpet player from the Hollywood Studio Orchestra at the time, but Morrison was always his first choice. Morrison had been a trumpet player for pretty much his entire life, and at 33 years old was offered the chance to be a part of a major Hollywood production. I don't know if Morrison was asked to be a part of the project before he saw the score or heard Williams play his trumpet theme on the piano, but he certainly had to be excited when he first played this piece.
Contrary to what you might think, this trumpet piece is not played to convey the military in the film. It's used in several moments in the film that are very different from each other. Sometimes the trumpet plays in sorrowful moments. Other times it's played for introspect or to suggest loneliness. It's another great example of how Williams makes has an ability to write a theme that says so many different things, depending on how it's used. I don't know if the theme would have sounded differently if Tim Morrison hadn't performed it, but he certainly did very well. There's another theme in the film, and it plays primarily on string instruments. This also shows how well Williams can take a theme and make it convey different emotions depending on the scene. As we're going to see, this theme can portray innocence, hopelessness, rebirth, and sorrow. Our introduction to it comes during the film's opening credit sequence. It starts with a parade in Massapequa, Long Island in the 1950s, where young Ron Kovic sees wounded soldiers but doesn't react much to their appearance. Here's Oliver Stone talking briefly in the DVD commentary about John Williams' music in this scene. This is a beautiful little moment with that John Williams score. John wrote, outdid himself for me on this uh, until I heard JFK, but uh, I just love that score. The strings theme, as I'm going to call it, shows up as Ron hits a home run during a baseball game, at first on the oboe, but more prominently in the violins.
And here's what Stone had to say about letting Williams' music soar during this slice of Americana scene. And John Williams' music breaks. I mean, yeah, it's sentimental, but it's the good corn, you know? That's what you need in a movie. You have to have good corn, and you have to dress up the cliché in a way, and it's just... You talk about All-America, well, let's see it. This is All-America. We even put feathers in the air, blowing around. Then, as we see the Kovic home, Morrison comes back with the trumpet. And I think it's put here to segue into more serious talk as we see John F. Kennedy talk on the television. It's one of Williams' best compositions for opening credits in a non-action movie. Yes, he's going to return to this template in The Patriot 11 years later, and why not? It's really good. For the next 20 minutes of the film, we see Tom Cruise as a high school-aged Ron Kovic, losing a wrestling match, and also hearing Tom Berger speak about joining the Marines. There's a little bit of Williams' music in these moments of the film, but nothing compares to what we're going to get when Ron gets to Vietnam. Now, if Steven Spielberg had directed this film, Williams might have been instructed to keep music out of the next 20 minutes or so, and I might have said it was a good decision. But Stone wanted something to match what we see on screen, and Williams does it masterfully. It was a great decision to have Williams score the intensely dramatic moments in Vietnam. These are some of the best battle scenes shot for a war film up to this point in film history. All is well in the first three minutes of film time in Vietnam. Ron is relaxing on a beach in Vietnam, telling a younger soldier that he hasn't seen much action in his time there. And then there is a report that the Viet Cong is hiding in a nearby village with rifles ready to attack. Suddenly, the Americans open fire on the village, and when we find out that innocent women and children were killed, Williams comes in with unsettling notes in the string section to match the chaos and confusion.
This music gave Williams the opportunity to reach back into the work he did for images with the atonal melodies. It also feels like the music he composed for Barry's kidnapping and Close Encounters, another scene filled with chaos and confusion. That comes to a head when the Americans retreat from the village, and in the craziness, Kovic turns his gun on the silhouetted figure of a man running toward him. Thinking it's a Viet Cong soldier, Ron shoots him. It turns out to be a fellow soldier named Wilson. And the trumpet theme ends the scene as we see a great shot of Kovic after the medics carry away Wilson. Did you hear the string theme in there? We heard it before to portray innocence. And there's nothing innocent about seeing a dying man in front of you. It's haunting and actually gave me goosebumps when it paired with the visuals. But we're not done, and that scene was just a small taste of what's to come. A few months later, the Marine platoon is patrolling the beach and come across another village where the enemy is hiding. They're ambushed in another surprise attack, and Ron is shot in the foot. Williams brings in the strings as Ron continues firing in anger.
At this point, Ron is shot with the bullet that will ultimately paralyze him. Stone and Williams made the choice to stop the music at that point to bring us the sound of blood gurgling out of Ron's mouth and the sounds of Ron as a kid playing war. When the music comes back, it features dark and deep piano hits to cover Ron's rescue and his eventual helicopter trip to the medical tent. If you have never seen this scene, I suggest you do it to really understand how this music works. It's not for the squeamish, and neither is the scene in the medical tent. But it's treated well, and Williams doesn't try to get in the way, just as he wasn't trying to make his music heard so much during both attack scenes. The John Williams of the 1970s and early 1980s might have asked the brass section to play something bombastic and loud, But in this phase of his career, John Williams is going for the more subtle approach. And I, for one, think it's an inspired choice. There's about 15 minutes of movie time spent in the Bronx Hospital where Ron stays and tries to live with his paralysis. Absolutely no music in this portion of the film. And I think it isn't needed. It's graphic, sad, and disturbing to see all of these moments in the hospital. But Williams comes back when it's time for Ron to return to Long Island, and Tim Morrison is there in the score to welcome him home. The oboes come in to play the string theme as Ron's family greets him, but then the strings swell when Mom sees Ron and the neighbors greet him.
So most of the music that appears in the movie for the next 55 minutes or so serves as a transition from one scene to the next, lasting only a minute or so each time. Mostly it's the string theme playing, but the trumpet theme comes in a few times, particularly in a parade scene when Ron sees Vietnam protesters along the route, all played out in slow motion. After Ron has an awakening about the Vietnam War and begins to question God and the government, he runs off to Mexico where a bunch of paralyzed veterans live. I want to quickly play a portion of the music used in Mexico featuring the string theme that helps to suggest Ron's happier mindset there, as opposed to when this music was played at some of his lowest points. Really, John Williams just puts the theme in a different key to convey this motion. It's that simple, but it does a lot. After that experience, Ron takes a bus to Texas to see the grave of Wilson, the soldier he believes that he killed in Vietnam. The montage of Ron traveling to Texas uses Tim Morrison on the trumpet with a drum kit for some reason. The music on trumpet echoes the music Morrison played for Ron's return home after some time in the hospital.
And then Ron visits Wilson's grave. We get the trumpet theme again, and it's as sorrowful and haunting as it was when we heard it seconds after the dead Wilson was carried away in Vietnam. I have always been aware of this score to Born of the Fourth of July, ever since buying a compilation CD of John Williams' music back in 1999. I had seen the movie in high school when we were covering the Vietnam War in history class. I found the movie disturbing then, and of course I wasn't really aware of John Williams. But the movie now is still disturbing, but more haunting to me, I think, because I am aware of the music. I recognize a lot of the slow motion sequences that make some of the action seem dreamlike, particularly in Vietnam. And of course, Tom Cruise was absolutely amazing here. Sitting down to watch it for this podcast was the first time I had seen the movie all the way through since high school. And really understanding how the music worked in the film has given me a new appreciation for it. It doesn't make itself noticed too much in the film, unlike the music he wrote just a few months before this for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And of course, that's an action film where the music does want to be noticed sometimes. And that's what continues to amaze me about John Williams. He can shift moods musically from one film to the next almost effortlessly. And if you watch The Last Crusade and Born on the Fourth of July back to back, you could definitely hear what I mean. The combined power of Tom Cruise and Oliver Stone helped make Born on the Fourth of July a success at the box office. Critics couldn't stop talking about Cruise's transformation, and it carried him all the way to an Oscar nomination for a leading actor, his first. He wasn't the only actor that year to portray a character with a disability. Irishman Daniel Day-Lewis, known mostly at the time for playing in The Unbearable Lightness of Being the year earlier and in My Beautiful Laundrette in 1985, played the disabled Irish painter Christy Brown in My Left Foot, giving Oscar voters the choice between two portrayals of real-life disabled heroes. The voters picked Day-Lewis and set him on the path of becoming one of the most revered actors of our time. Oliver Stone picked up a second Oscar for directing Born on the Fourth of July, one of two wins the film would get in its eight nominations, including the film editing. John Williams got an original score nomination for this film alongside his work for Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. And as I mentioned in the episode discussing The Last Crusade, there was no stopping Alan Minken and his work on The Little Mermaid, which won both music awards that year. So we'll end this episode of The Baton here and get ready for Williams' second collaboration with Steven Spielberg in 1989. This will be a remake of a classic film that I think forced Williams to work fast in Spielberg's attempt to get the film always into theaters quickly. We'll explore that film and score in the next episode. Feel free to send me an email at jeffswim@aol.com and also post comments on the Podbean app. 
I've been reading a lot of new reviews on the Apple Podcast app, and I appreciate all of them as well. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to the show. And until next time, the baton is down. <laughs>